0: four and five, and it's a great text. Uh, the church, when it's filled with the spirit, it does wonderful things. Uh, couple, two or three times we've already heard that the church was filled with the spirit. So what does a spirit-filled church look like? They're a generous church. And just, just like right now when we shared all the good things this past week, I noticed something in the c- congregation. If you could see what I saw, whenever, when Joy said, I'm thankful for a new bed, And then i'm thankful for 39 years of marriage and when we heard all of these things your faces all changed as well isn't that interesting you didn't get the blessing of it they did but because we're reminded of god's blessing to us even in the small things we get impacted so the holy spirit fills this church and what does this church do they become radically generous they become so giving have you experienced that you, you are a recipient of some mercy and grace and therefore you just feel so happy. Have you ever gotten a speeding, t- like you're about to get a speeding ticket but the cop says, Mr. Co, drive carefully next time. You feel good. <laughs> you call your wife or you call your friends and I just got out of a ticket and let me take you out for dinner or something. You feel excited. When you receive mercy, When you receive grace, it does something to us. It allows us to overflow. And the church has experienced the Holy Spirit because they knew that Jesus Christ died and rose again. So how were they living? This spirit-filled church, it says in Acts 4, there was not a needy person amongst them. This is a radical gospel-centered community that... The church was not just a place where you go, but it was the people. And there was not a needy person among them. They looked out for each other. They prayed for one another. They were so radical, this community was so touched by grace, that something started happening. Without legislature, without a committee, without a pastor, without bishops mandating it, they started doing something. They saw people who didn't have enough food or clothes So people said, wait, I have a huge plot of land. Why not sell it and give it to the disciples and apostles? Let them spread it. So we're told they took their property, they sold it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles distributed as they saw as need. And so, again, this is very unique. Uh, Some people say, what's the difference between socialism and communism? And socialism and communism is led by the government. In Acts, who's leading this? It's the Holy Spirit through the people who started recognizing this need. It is an organic growth of generosity. And so we get our first example. How cool is this? You become so known in your community, they give you a nickname. His name was Joseph. He took piece of land, a part of it, and he sold it. He gave all the proceeds to the apostles, and they distributed it. And they were so amazed by this man Joseph, they gave him a nickname, and we know him as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a cool nickname. That's a great, that's the kind of nickname you and I want to get. Like like Jason, I don't know, nickname could be like the the, the one who picks up other people Uh, the one someone who who the quiet servant that's nathan quiet behind the scenes man of god it's it's great to have these kind of nicknames where we recognize the holy spirit changing us and joseph becomes known as barnabas so barnabas does this and so far so good he sold a field belonged to him brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet and they trusted the apostles by the way on a side note uh one of the prayers from 14 years ago when we came was god let our session be transparent and true and so good with stewardship of money and property that the people can trust the session to know how to use it for your glory and so we strive for that and that's a model from the church we trust and we pray for the leadership to do this and they trust the apostles so things were good so far so good but in your Bible, in Acts chapter 5, what's the first word in your Bible? But. Dun, dun, dun. So when you hear that, it's a significant word. So things are good. Generosity is happening. The Holy Spirit's filling this church. But. And it's preparing us for something. One is that in contrast to what Barnabas did, something opposite is about to come in the midst of the good of the church there was about to be a stain you know there were there is always some sort of party pooper and then third even though christians are forgiven people this we have to remember even though they're spirit-filled people they're forgiven people you and i are saved by grace nevertheless you and i are still affected by sin nature so when people are like i don't go to church because there are a bunch of hypocrites we say join us we have room for one more because we're all hypocrites we can't live perfectly we're saved by grace but we will stumble and so this early church is about to have their moment jerry bridges he wrote a book called the pursuit of holiness and i want to read this insightful theology Indwelling sin remains in us even though it has been dethroned. And though it has been overthrown and weakened, its nature has not changed. Sin is still hostile to God and cannot submit to his law. Thus, we have an implacable enemy of righteousness right in our own hearts. What diligence and watchfulness is required for us when this enemy in our souls is ready to oppose every effort to do good? we cannot put our guards down that's what he's saying this sin is relentless this nature will come up and if we are not watchful we will find ourselves stumbling and jumping back into a sin's entrapment like sin will never defeat us we've been forgiven but we still can get entangled and so we have ananias and sapphira and so this takes us to that tragic story of a husband and wife. They see Barnabas, they see the pattern, and it says they too sow their land and they gave proceeds to the apostles. But by the end of this 11 verses, they both are dead and buried, dropped dead. And the implication is that God struck them dead. Wow. So why did this happen? Let's take a look. So Luke captures a difference between Barnabas and Ananias there's a pattern here for Ananias for Barnabas it was they sold everything he sold uh, brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet but in Acts chapter 5 verse 2 listen to the difference Ananias sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet Now, up to that point, it sounds, if you don't get any other context, it sounds like, and, so what? (laughs) But we get a hint there, don't we, with his wife's knowledge. So there's something in there, in cahoots. Young people say this word, and I'm totally not cool anymore. But, you know, young people say the word sus. Yo, that's sus. Older people, can you raise your hand with me if you never heard that word before? Okay, amen. You're the normal. Young people are like, yo, the teacher's sus. Hey, that new kid's nice. No, she's sus. You know, sus means they're suspicious, they're kind of quirky, they're not trustworthy. It's kind of like, hey, this food looks sus. That means it could be like deplorable. All the older people, youth, I wish you could see the faces of the, of the adults. They're all like, what? So there's sus here. They're doing with full knowledge something. We don't know what yet, but we can tell from Luke there's something suspicious. He did not do what he said he was going to do, and he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. So that's the clue that we're getting. He took the money. He kept back some of the proceeds. And then what Peter does in the next verse is he confronts Ananias, and and it says in verse 5, Ananias immediately fell down and breathed his last. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in and she has no clue he's dead. And Peter says, let me ask you the same question. Was this the amount you sold the land for? And she says, it is so. And Peter says, how can you lie to the Holy Spirit? And so she too falls down. Peter says, Tell, uh, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And so husband and wife both die before Peter. And so our instinct is to say, boy, that's a little harsh. That's uh, that's a little harsh, because if that happens, we don't have a chance. And so... You know, the rational side of us wants to defend her and, and Ananias and say, wait a minute, what if they had taxes to pay? What if they had some retirement they're trying to save up for? Maybe they were trying to keep money because they're holding it back for the future. And so we want to rationalize this, like say, God's got to be unfair. That's a little bit too harsh. And and th- our human instinct, this kind of weird weird morality that sometimes we know better than God and we're gooder than God says to us, no, I I would not have done this. That's a little bit too much. And so, but two points kind of give us a little more clue. First, do you guys remember the story where David committed adultery with Bathsheba? And no one knew. And then he got her pregnant, so he wanted to cover it up. So what did he do? He put her husband in the front line so he knew he'll get killed. David commits adultery, gets her pregnant, someone else's wife, and then murders a husband. And then he brings her after he dies. Do you remember what happens next? Prophet Nathan comes to David and says, basically, hey, is it fair for a man who had only one lamb to get it slaughtered when someone else has a 500? David's like, that's unjust. And then basically Nathan says, you're the man you have murdered, you have committed adultery, you have, you have sinned against God. And so, how did Nathan, the prophet, confront David? The spirit of God was moving in him. And in the same way, Peter filled with the spirit, it's not the body language. He is convicted, Ananias and Sapphira, You have stolen from God. You have withheld. You have not told the truth. And so Peter is working on behalf of God's spirit to bring judgment for this particular reason, for their sin. Second, this is the second, in that phrase, they kept back for themselves some of the proceeds. The word kept back in Greek is nasphizo, and it literally means to embezzle, to withdraw covertly. So it's not just, uh, like, saving up. There was something illegal. They were doing it. And we don't know the exact transaction, but the Greek word that Luke uses implies this was an embezzlement. So Peter says, Satan has filled your heart to light the Spirit to keep back. Uh, And what his point is, it was your property. It was your money. You could do whatever you want with it. How could you contrive this deed in your heart? In other words, that part gets me the most sad. If Ananias and Sapphira didn't give money at all, they would have been okay. (laughs) But they gave money with a pretense, this is all, just like Barnabas, just like others, because we want to do it to help the others. And so the issue was not the money lie to God, and Peter says, you lie to the Holy Spirit, how can you do this and lie to God? And so, some people may look at this and say, oh boy, I better give offering because God looks at what I give. No, that's not the application. The application is not give or don't give. It's when we give to God, or when we make this vow, but we don't keep the vow, and our In the inside, in the secret, the point is God knows, and we can't lie to God. Lying is basically defined as doing what we say and saying what we do. Remember that, because we'll get back to that. So this is what happened. This is why uh, Peter spoke against Ananias and Pharaoh. So what's the lesson here right away if that's the background? The first simple lesson is... And this is sobering for us. God is a God who always, always looks mainly at the heart. He always looks at our heart. He doesn't look at our behavior. Uh, Kathy and I learned this. One of the things that we learned in parenting and podcasts, focused on the family, was stop correcting the kid's behavior. Stop focusing on their behavior. Start focusing on nurturing their heart. And when you nurture their heart, it affects and changes their behavior. But if you just do their behavior, they'll follow the behavior with a heart that's resentful and rebellious. And when they get out of here, they'll do what they want. And that rocked our paradigm. So nurture their heart, not their behavior. And what does God say? I am a God who looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God does not look at people like the way man looks at people. Man looks at outer appearances, but God looks at the heart. And so Galatians 6-7 says, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't trick God. You can't fool God. For whatever one sows, therefore he reaps. But this next verse scares me. And we're doing worship here, yes? We're here. We just sang songs to God. This part scares me. Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says in Matthew 15, 8, and 9, he quotes Isaiah's words. This people honor me with their lips. Your goodness is running after. Blessed be your name. You give and take away my heart will choose to say. We, we sing this, all of us sang this, but their heart is far from me. That should unsettle us a bit. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the first thing we see is God is consistent in the Old Testament to the New Testament. He couldn't care less how good the choir sings, how wonderful the praise team is, and how high your hands are lifted if the heart is not in the right place with God. And so you could sell all your property and give it to the disciples, but it wasn't about the amount, it was about there was a wrong intention in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. That's sobering. Second, we see that sin nature remains in Christians. Uh, and this is actually a good news for us. If some of you thought, man, it's so hard being a Christian, join the club. This is why 1 John nine is written to Christians. If we confess our sins as Christians, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. That was to Christians, not to non-Christians. And so sin nature remains in Christians, and it has a knack. What does it have a knack? Young people, you're not alone. Sin nature in us has a knack to make us do something. We want to look good. We want to be accepted. And we want people to believe in us. Where does that come from? We have an insecurity of acceptance and belonging. And what has Jesus done? I'm your wife. I'm your identity. I'm your everything. And sin nature tells us you're not enough, Jesus. And so we cover it up. We want to have an image. So Ananias and Sapphira, what were they doing? Oh, we want to look good. We want to look holy and religious. We want to sell everything and make people realize, wow, look at that couple. Look how much they gave. And their heart is not anchored in the identity they have in Christ, they're manufacturing their own worth. A lot of us struggle with that. And so instead of anchoring our hope and our value and worth in Christ, we want to manipulate. And this is the sin nature in us. Broken people, we are saved by grace. I love what Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor. He's the one in his church, they created version. Listen to his quote. We might impress people with our strengths, But we connect with people through our weaknesses. We might impress people with our preaching and just our houses and our accomplishments. But it's true. We connect with people in our weaknesses. And this is a power that God uses in the gospel. And so sin nature remains in us. This is what we're seeing in this story. And God is always serious about sin. Um, for Mother's Day, I have a confession. Can you? So we went to a restaurant. Uh, Kathy was excited. We went took the family. The food was horrible. It was really bad. Like, it was bad. Like, I'm not a critic. And I have a high tolerance. But everything tasted bad. They got a new chef or something. And then we're, we had a hard time eating it. And we're just trying to be polite. And then I, I don't know why I do this. The waitress came and she saw that we were not eating our food. And she says, is everything good? And, I, and then I said, yes, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, why did I say And then Kathy looks at me and she goes, why did you say that? I was going to tell them it's not, it's too salty and it's not good. And I realized she's right. She's not being rude because in the long run, the restaurant gets helped by feedback. But I lied Because I couldn't, like, have the guts to say, it's a little off today. So I immediately said, oh, yeah, it's good, thank you. (laughs) And I'm like, and I told the kids, I I was so embarrassed in front of Michelle, Jamie, and Ethan. I was like, I lied. It felt icky. And so this, this nature is in us. And I don't know, but in that moment, it's not like I'm seeing the wrath of God. But I'm realizing, God, what a messed up guy I am. I can't do this without your grace. And so Christianity is not, I'm gooder than you. Look how religious I am. But it's, boy, till the day Jesus comes, I need his sanctification, the Holy Spirit. And Ananias and Sapphira, what they did was the opposite. Instead of leaning into their weakness and fallibility, they were trying to put up an image that we are good. Look how holy we are. And so what does this all mean? I want to and then just kind of bring this down. I want to say this story should scare all of us. But not because you better be good or else God will strike you dead. That could be an application, I'm sure. But the story should scare us. But not because God will strike you today when you sin. Because if that were to happen... I don't think I would be standing here or some of us would be standing here. It's just scare us in a different way. And here's why. Because each of us in this room is exactly like Ananias and Sapphira. How? Well, Pastor Jason, that's a little bit presumptive. I don't have property that I'm going to sell and give to the church, you know, and pretend I own everything. But let me ask you a few questions. How many of you have ever sung the song, All to Jesus I Surrender? All to Jesus I Surrender. How many of you heard that song? Here I am, Lord. And lastly, Lord, I give you my heart. Just those three songs. Think about what you've just said. Think about what i said. All to Jesus, I surrender. Everyone, look, I'm singing this song. God, I'm giving you my all. And then we walk out the doors. Yankees. School. Career. My identity. That enemy, that neighbor that I don't like. We keep a little bit of our heart to fight battles that we want to still fight. And so we say we're giving it all, but we've been holding back. And this is just a sliver of so many ways. So I'm not trying to make us feel bad. What I'm trying to say is we don't relate to Peter here. We don't relate to God here. We relate to Ananias and Sapphira, whether we're Christian or not Christian, that, boy, it is so easy to say we're going to give God everything. But we really don't. And so the question becomes, how am I still standing here and breathing if I still did the same thing Ananias and Sapphira did? Why does God not strike me down like Ananias and Sapphira? And you know the answer, don't we? The only reason you and I stand each day, wake up, and do our thing, whether we like it or not, is God's mercy. And God's good grace. And that should overwhelm us with his love. That is not, whoa, thank God he doesn't do that today. Is he could. God can. He does. But you and I are breathing here today because of God's mercy. The point of this lesson is not you better watch out or you could become like them. The point is we are like them. And yet, God allows us to have this day. Why is that? Because there was a guy. If lying is what? Saying one thing but doing another? There was only one person in this whole world that said and did exactly what he said he'll do. We make promises and pledges to God, but we can't meet it. But there is one person who said I'm going to do this and he did all of it let me read to you in Mark chapter 9 verse 31 Jesus says the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will rise Jesus Christ is the only one that pledges that said over and over again and does everything he said he would do friends Our Savior and hope is not in us performing better because we're going to mess up. We have a hard time having integrity and honesty, even when we sing songs. Therefore, we have a Savior who has perfectly lived out what he said he'll do. He is the one to whom we find this perfection. And so Jesus Christ is our hope. And so how can we survive knowing that, boy, we're pretty messed up? We cling to the cross of Christ and say thank you for your mercy and grace. And this goodness of God overflows to worship. And here's the crazy part. What happens when that happens? You start living and desiring to be honest. You start desiring to live life of integrity. That's the motivation. It's grace. As opposed to you better watch out. That doesn't help you. It puts this weird fear. But God, you can destroy me, but yet you deliver me. You live the life perfectly, Jesus. You're my only hope. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how I could stand here and even preach when you know my heart. I don't know how. The church could ever look down upon anyone, Lord God, when we know that we are forgiven and sin is dethroned, but it's still in us. So we thank you for this story. We thank you that we are just like Ananias Sapphira many times, and yet you spare us and you give us a constant renewal each day in Christ. Jesus, you are the hope that we rest on. You are the rock. And the foundation and so we glorify you we praise you and we ask that that would just shake us so that we could be people who live differently in this world that reflects a sacrificing suffering god who delivers sinners lord may we sing songs by grace (laughs) knowing that we may not fulfill it but may that remind us We are not strong because of our own power and righteousness, but purely by the gift of your righteousness through your Son, Jesus. May that change the way we live radically so that we may be a community of grace, of generosity, of love, and let there be no one in need in our midst because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.